I am Brother Cornell West. This is Chris Hedges. I'm Rosa Clemente. Hey, what's up? This is Chuck D, Public Enemy Prophets of Rage. And this is News Beat. Progressive prosecutors. To Fox News pundits and right-wing politicians, they're demons with a whole lot of blood on their hands, responsible for America's skyrocketing crime surges, murder rates, and anything else they can lump in. And to the left, and many formerly incarcerated folks, they're heroes, tackling and helping to at least begin dismantling the country's horrifying prison industrial complex, mass incarceration crisis, and unequal and archaic cash bail system. Hey everyone, this is Manny Faces, producer, audio editor, and host of the award-winning Newsbeat podcast, where we illuminate truths and correct false narratives regarding social injustices through hard-hitting independent journalism and a unique blend of independent hip-hop. We've covered this topic before, but given the lies and violent rhetoric still being spewed by those who would demonize any efforts to address prison and criminal justice reform, we felt it important to revisit. The attacks are relentless and, false or not, somewhat effective. Since we last interviewed Chesa Bodine, a key face of the progressive prosecutor movement, he's been recalled as San Francisco's district attorney and removed from office. Los Angeles County District Attorney George Gascon, who leads the largest local prosecutor's office in the nation, is a former assistant police chief and a former Republican, and he survived several recall attempts to date. And Larry Krasner, Philadelphia's district attorney and a reform prosecutor the GOP and its corporate media megaphones love to hate, has been the target of several serious attempts. Most recently, despite his overwhelming re-election by voters last year, Pennsylvania's Republican-led statehouse voted to impeach him on November 16th for his policies. This sets the stage for what would be the first Pennsylvania Senate impeachment trial in nearly three decades. Yet, the truth of it is, wait for it. I want you all to know that we are fighting the fake news. It's fake. You guessed it. There remains no solid connection between their long overdue criminal justice reforms and the recent nationwide spikes in crime. You'll never hear this in right-wing media, obviously, but a study published earlier this year by the centrist Democratic think tank Third Way found that per capita murder rates in 2020 were 40% higher in states that voted for Donald Trump than those who voted for President Joe Biden. Additionally, they discovered that eight of the 10 states with the highest per capita murder rates that year have voted Republican in every presidential election in the century. So as we've seen with the successful recall of Bodine and the impeachment effort of Krasner, the grand old party is riding a tidal wave of lies and fear to go against the will of the people and essentially overturn elections. And that raises another key question. Why has the media been silent about these undemocratic efforts to oust elected prosecutors? I mean, all we've heard since 2020 is that elections are sacred and should be protected at all costs. Well, there's so much more to all of this, and no doubt our incredible guests for this episode will do a hell of a lot better job at explaining it than me. <laughs> Joining us to break it all down are Todd Fogelsong, a fellow in residence at the University of Toronto Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy, and Akela Lacey, a politics reporter at The Intercept. And it's a super quick reminder to rate and review us and subscribe to Newsbeat Podcast wherever you listen to your favorite pods or on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, we're everywhere. Sign up for our free Substack newsletter for new drops, bonus stories, and more at newsbeat.substack.com. And check out usnewsbeat.com for all previous episodes, extended guest and artist bios, and much more. Anytime you want, you can shoot us an email at usnewsbeat at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. So here we go. This is GOP election crime hysteria and impeachment of Larry Krasner.
Nationally, Republicans spent millions of dollars on ads painting Democrats as, you know, quote, soft on crime. In the Pennsylvania Senate race in particular, this was a, one of the most salient messages um, because now Senator-elect John Fetterman was a member of the state's clemency board. His opponent, Republican candidate Dr. Mehmet Oz, was running ads saying he wanted to, quote, release murderers. Like, it was very, you know, low bar, crass messaging, the kind of fear-mongering that you might associate with the 80s under Reagan or, or something like that, that we were seeing in this cycle. Fetterman said that if he had a magic wand to do anything he wanted to, his goal would be to release murderers from life in prison. Can you imagine having a magic wand to do anything you want? I mean, you could take yeah. care of inflation, although you don't need a magic wand for that. But there's lots of things you could do. But releasing murderers from life in prison without asking the families what they think and oftentimes voting against the other members of the parole board, even other Democrats, is not aligned with the values of Pennsylvanians. Yet that's the position he has taken. It did tank some campaigns like, you know, this was one of the reasons that the Democrat in Wisconsin, Mandela Barnes, he had an uphill battle against Ron Johnson. The ads in that race really, really hurt him, at least is, is the analysis so far. Um, but we saw this in states across the country, up and down the ballot, just sort of going all in, particularly from the House Republicans campaign arm. They particularly did a lot of this in, in Pennsylvania. This is an issue that Republicans have been running heavily on. You see it in ads for House races, governor's races, Senate races. And you look at Republican candidates in these races, they are playing on the issue of crime heavily in their ads. Here's a look at some of the ads voters in places like I'm describing are seeing. Mandela Barnes stands with defund the police and supports no cash bail that releases dangerous criminals back into our communities. They want to defund the police, even as crime rages out of control across the state. Josh Riley, extreme, liberal, dangerous. Raphael one I call police thugs, then cut the funding. Now he wants to end cash bail, putting criminals back out on the street. Why is radical John Fetterman dodging debates? Because he can't defend freeing convicted murderers, even over Josh Shapiro's objection. I think when I was on last time, we talked about the spike in homicides that coincided with COVID. And there has been a marked increase in gun crimes in cities and in rural areas across the country. There's been a lot of analysis on the causes of that, having to do with the pandemic, the recession, all kinds of things, increasingly lax gun laws in particular. So those are all things that are real. These are things that voters have, have been saying that they've been concerned about. But at the same time, there has been a concerted effort on behalf of national and local Republicans to craft this into a political strategy that spikes fear in the hearts of voters around criminal justice reform efforts being a driving cause of those gun crimes and homicides. At the same time, other categories of crime have largely stayed constant or dropped in a lot of cases, which is part of the reason why this narrative is not true. When you start getting into the granular data of, you know, what's up and what's down, you sort of lose people. And so Republicans have been able to really hone in on that emotional aspect of this to sort of drive people's animosity towards reform efforts, but also towards elected officials who were elected on those reforms. The New York Times piece pointing out uh, that Republicans are intensifying their focus on crime and public safety, but they're vague on specific policy details. They, um, they see the issue as, as one that can motivate their conservative base.
I think there's three kinds of things that really matter. First, there was a substantial increase in homicide in the vast majority of cities where we have data on recorded crime and data on homicide in particular. I think it's 90% of the cities in which uh, we have data on homicide for 2020 and 2021. Across the U.S., murders have skyrocketed this year, while nonviolent offenses have largely dropped. That is according to publicly available crime data. But the efforts to curb homicides comes at a time when police departments are facing both staffing shortages because of the pandemic and lingering distrust in communities of color following months of nationwide protests. There was a substantial increase in homicide. So that fact alone suggests to you that the increase in homicide is probably being driven by some factor that is not idiosyncratic, that is not limited to a specific city. The increase in homicide was marginally greater in cities with what one might call traditional prosecutors. The increase was greater in cities with traditional prosecutors than it is with prosecutors who have either been depicted as progressive or characterize themselves as progressive. The increase was greater in cities with traditional prosecutors than it is with prosecutors who have either been depicted as progressive or characterize themselves as progressive. So that's also a pretty salient sign that the increase in homicide is not related to progressive prosecution or even prosecution in, in general. One could go further with that, but I don't think it's actually very meaningful. For me, the most salient fact is that the city in 2020 that recorded the greatest decrease in homicide, which bucked the trend, if you will, was Virginia Beach. But the city that has the greatest rate of increase in homicide in 2022 is Virginia Beach. So if a city has a substantial decrease in homicide one year, is stable the next year and a huge increase the following year. What interpretation should we make of that fact? Is it at all related to prosecution? If prosecution is fairly stable in that place, it seems unlikely to have a strong relationship. So we find that throughout the research, not just in major cities, but across all cities in at least two states. So to supplement our analysis, we focused on Florida and California states where we have additional data by county or city. And in Florida, the average increase in homicide across the state was substantial. It was higher than the average in one county with a progressive prosecutor, and it was lower than average in one county with a progressive prosecutor. The greatest increase in Florida took place in counties with not progressive prosecutors. So despite the fact that Andrew Warren has been removed by Governor DeSantis on a charge of neglecting his, his duty, Governor DeSantis says that he saw prosecutors ignoring the law in other states, so he wanted to know if it was happening here. The governor's staff spoke with line prosecutors and police across Florida, and the governor says one name repeatedly came up, Andrew Warren. Hillsborough State Attorney Andrew Warren has been one of Florida's most outspoken progressive prosecutors. Last year, he told us he was bracing for budget cuts concern for public safety. That means fewer prosecutors to hold criminals accountable. Andrew Warren has put himself publicly above the law. But today at a news conference, the governor and law enforcement and Warren's own jurisdiction all claimed Warren is not holding the most serious accountable and refusing to prosecute certain crimes. Andrew Warren 
is a fraud. There's been no huge increase in homicide that is associated with the practices of, of that district attorney. We found roughly the same pattern in California. There were three counties really with progressive prosecutors in the period under examination, that is 2020 and 2021. And the, and the increase in homicide across the state was much greater than in all of those three counties. So the evidence that there is a relationship between progressive prosecution and violent crime, specifically homicide and robbery, is very, very weak. In fact, we find no evidence of that. The rise in violence in 2020 was indeed unprecedented if you think about it as a, as a country-level phenomenon. I don't think in those terms, but some people do. And so it's unprecedented in those terms. Since the pandemic hit two years ago, parts of the U.S. have seen violent crime rates increase. Since 2019, the U.S. murder rate has risen nearly 40%, 40%. So what's going on? I think it is better to think about it in terms of individual cities, because I think each city um, has its own um, dynamics. There is substantial variation across these cities in the degree to which homicide is concentrated in specific neighborhoods, right? Um, in Philadelphia, it's extremely concentrated in just a couple of neighborhoods. In Chicago, it's a little bit less concentrated. There's more dispersed. There are several communities in which is highly concentrated. And in Los Angeles, it's much more dispersed. So each city has its own, unfortunately, dynamics of conflict and violence. One of America's most liberal cities sent a huge message when it booted District Attorney Chesa Boudin. Boudin, the son of convicted weather underground terrorist, was elected in 2019 on a clear mandate to reform the criminal justice system, finding alternatives to incarceration, ending cash bail, and holding police accountable. What San Francisco residents got in return was a city so overrun with crime, tourists were warned to avoid the city for their own safety. Democratic strategist Jim Kessler tweeted this warning, if national Democrats don't wake up to what happened to progressives in New York, Minnesota, and San Francisco this cycle, prepare yourselves for permanent minority status. Thank you, Madam President. I have uh, come to this floor before for the same subject, but I now come to express my concerns once again about the rise in crime in America. Now I want to express what that rise in crime means for everybody if we don't stop it. If we don't act soon, and don't reverse the trend of tolerating crime, a generation of Americans will see the greatest cities fall once again into decay. Crime is up because of the permissive approach by too many so-called progressive prosecutors. One prosecutor in San Francisco has said that if you steal less than $950, you won't be prosecuted. No wonder people are committing more crimes. These prosecutors see criminals as victims, releasing them back into the streets shortly after being arrested. This sows fear in local residents. Common sense ought to tell everybody that. 
we wrote about this, the, the head of the Republican study committee, I think it was around primary season, they put out this memo on Republican strategy where, you know, they specifically laid out, we want to target reform-minded prosecutors around the country. One Republican official, he said, make them famous. They're really being very clear about how they want to operationalize this to take out specific officials that they don't like. So we've seen echoes of this, you know, with the recall of the San Francisco District Attorney, Tessa Boudin. You know, there were recall efforts in Los Angeles and, um, and other cities. Big race being watched in San Francisco and beyond. Voters choosing to recall San Francisco District Attorney Chesa Boudin. Here's a look at the results. 60% saying yes, while 40% saying no. People are angry. They're frustrated. And I want to be very clear about what happened tonight. The right-wing billionaires outspent us three to one. They exploited an environment in which people are appropriately upset. And they created an electoral dynamic where we were literally shadow boxing. Voters were not asked to choose between criminal justice reform and something else. They were given an opportunity to voice their frustration and their outrage, and they took that opportunity. And again, you know, we'll get to the, the iteration of this in Philadelphia, but this is sort of how it's played out. At the same time, it's been a tactic to distract from Republican efforts to dismantle gun gun laws and, and protections that actually would have an impact on, on some of the issues that they're they're saying that they're concerned about. And this is really the issue in Pennsylvania, where Republicans who were leading these efforts against Krasner, they're trying to make the state, an, you know, an open carry state, which is, you know, there have been studies, particularly after the, the number of mass shootings that we saw at the beginning of last year, that the increase in lax gun laws does coincide and in some ways correlate with the rise in gun crimes. Krasner was elected in 2017. He's often sort of talked about as like the first reform-minded prosecutor, but there were actually several before him, Kim Fox in Chicago, Kim Gardner in St. Louis, and Wesley Bell around the same time in St. Louis. We begin at four with the stunning political upset. Wesley Bell's defeat of seven-term St. Louis County Prosecutor Bob McCullough. Marilyn Mosby was declared the winner. Larry Krasner obliterated the field. Kim Gardner is the winner of that race. Part of a new wave who pledged to make the justice system more fair to people of color. Krasner ran on, you know, not prosecuting minor offenses like marijuana possession or, you know, nonviolent petty crimes of poverty, quote unquote, and really addressing sort of the wrongs that policing had done specifically in Philadelphia. Larry Krasner wants to fix America's criminal justice system, which imprisons more people per capita than any other country on the planet. Since 2018, he served as the district attorney of Philadelphia, one of America's most highly incarcerated and as of late, increasingly crime-ridden cities. Krasner spent three decades as a criminal and civil rights defense attorney before deciding to run for office. Our movement did the uncomfortable thing. We took back power, he wrote in a memoir about his successful 2017 run for Philadelphia's district attorney. We outsiders went inside and took over the institution we had fought against all our lives. In his first week as DA, 
Krasner fired 31 staffers and replaced them with a new team that he described as ideologically attached to the mission. It's a pretty basic mission for people who are in favor of freedom. One of those missions is to be less incarcerated than Vladimir Putin's Russia. So instituting an office that would review cases of police misconduct, wrongful convictions, and really go after bad cops as well, which obviously did not go well with cops in Philadelphia. This is, you know, a theme again in lots of cities where we're seeing opposition to these prosecutors that the relationship with police sort of defines and sparks the political opposition in other arenas. So in Philadelphia, the police spent a lot to try to get to stop Krauser from being elected. Originally, he was, you know, this was the same thing that happened with his re-election campaign last year. But in conjunction with that, officials who, whether they have close relationships with the police or not, or who are sort of just part of the school that still believes in sort of the tough on crime approach to criminal justice reform, have banded together basically to fight him almost at, at every turn. Philadelphia has seen an alarming violent crime spike over these past couple of years. Um, both gun homicides and armed robberies have gone way up. And this is uh, different than many other large American cities, which did see crime spikes during the pandemic, but have somewhat subsided more so than Philadelphia. And your critics blame you, they say, you know, it's these bail policies, first of all, with the revolving, the so-called revolving door. Also, your unwillingness to prosecute gun crimes, which um, gun arrests have gone up, but gun prosecutions have gone down. So given these stats, how much uh, blame do you deserve for what's happening in Philadelphia? Well, you know, almost all the stats are just untrue. Okay. The reality is we actually charge gun possession cases at a higher rate than the people who came before us. Our conviction rate for homicides, for shootings, for homicides with guns, for rapes, for carjackings, for robberies with guns is extremely high. All of those conviction rates at the trial level are in the 80s and 90% levels. Um, what you're referring to is really a political narrative that serves certain people, but it is not accurate. The impeachment effort this year was marketed by Republicans as specifically in response to the spike in homicides and, and sort of the, the panic around crime. But in reality, it started back in, in 2017, it, it, we know, with respect to Krasner. Well, the district attorney's office just released a statement, a long statement that says in part, this is a distraction, he says, for House Republicans to hide the failed job that they have done, and also that it's the GOP attempts to overturn elections they lose. However, those lawmakers that say that they are starting this impeachment process say it is about public safety. This isn't about whether or not I like it. This is about the fact that he is willfully failing to do his job. Basically, shortly after Krauser was first elected, officials in the state legislature uh, passed a bill that would limit his prosecutorial authority over certain gun crimes in Philadelphia. This would have been the only county in the state where that would have been the case. And effectively, it would have allowed the state attorney general, who is now the governor, Josh Shapiro, then at the time state attorney general, to have authority over those crimes. The idea being that Krasner was not doing his job correctly and that a, a higher authority needed to step in to do what the law said.
despite the fact that voters elected him on what he ran on. I mean, Krasner was like the poster child for for the crime panic. And, you know, Trump was naming him in, in speeches. You know, Republican politicians across the country had picked up on this guy as somebody who would be great for conveying this messaging. You know, it was interesting because he, he overwhelmingly won his reelection in 2021, which, you know, in theory should have taken some of the wind out of the sails of some of this stuff. Philadelphia developing story in the race for district attorney. Incumbent Larry Krasner, a Democrat, has defeated Republican challenger Charles Peruto. Here are the numbers. Krasner 69 percent and Peruto 30 percent. But swiftly after that, we saw again another rash of bills from lawmakers who don't, rep some who represent Philadelphia, but some who do not, who, are, who represent rural areas of the state. What was really significant was back in, it, towards the end of September, the Republicans formed this like impeachment committee, you know, in the, in the middle of this past summer. They claimed they wanted to start an investigation into, you know, what he was and wasn't prosecuting, looking into, you know, departures from his office. They, are investigating for you know months and months and months it's not really clear what what that investigation actually entails and then towards the end of september you know we're about a month out from election day there appears on you know the state legislative calendar this contempt vote to hold larry krasner in contempt for not complying with a subpoena that was issued by the impeachment committee. Today, the Pennsylvania House voted to hold Philadelphia District Attorney Larry Krasner in contempt. This after Krasner declined to comply with a subpoena issued by a select committee. It's investigating rising crime in Philadelphia. The committee says that Krasner is denying members access to important documents and that's hindering its work. Krasner's office did refuse to comply with the subpoena, um, which is within his legal right. You can challenge a subpoena in court. There's nothing wrong with doing that. His office also said, you know, that they that the committee was asking for information that they legally were not allowed to release, you know, related to ongoing prosecutions, particularly of a case involving a homicide by a cop. So that that happens. Democrats vote overwhelmingly with Republicans to hold him in contempt. The contempt vote passed 162 to 38, which is uh, nobody nobody really expected that to happen. There have only been two officials in the history of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania who have been impeached. So the bar is high. The report that this impeachment committee put out says basically that they didn't find anything and they don't make any recommendations. They just say that they're going to continue investigating indefinitely, which is like pretty like McCarthy, I like, you know, terrifying. Um, so yeah, I mean, they do technically, yes, they, the state legislature like has this ability, but the question of whether they could prove that in a Senate trial is unclear. I think this is a really crucial point, And this is what advocates in the, the criminal justice community in Philadelphia make their top priority for people to understand about this is that at its core, this is an effort to tell majority black and brown voters in Philadelphia who have been disproportionately impacted by mass incarceration that they don't know what's good for them and that they're wrong and that they don't deserve to elect people who have policies that they want to see implemented. 
that's how they frame this. And they're very clear about that. And the irony that, you know, while you have Democrats saying they want to be consistent on impeachment stuff, you know, and then they're turning around and talking about all these Republican threats to democracy, that this somehow doesn't count because of the crime issue, because they don't know how to, that is, that somehow counteracts all of that stuff because crime is crime and like we need to, to out tough on crime the republicans and if we don't then we're going to lose our power to do any sort of governing which you know we saw that that in some cases that that's not what happened broadly on tuesday krauser was again overwhelmingly reelected last year in the face of huge opposition and huge outside spending so you know i think Republicans who say that this is about sort of concern for the citizens of Philadelphia, you know, you can assess that for yourself. But, you know, when you ask them about that, that this is like, this is an, an issue of little g democracy in terms of the will of voters and like, you know, would you want this to happen to you? They sort of seem to suggest that if there's somebody that they disagree with that it, it, and it, it is putting people's lives in danger or that they can convince you that it's putting people's lives in danger, then your right to vote doesn't really matter. Well, there you have it, folks. Thanks for listening. Before we wrap this up, we wanted to share a statement that was released on November 16th by Miriam Krinsky, the executive director of Fair and Just Prosecution, a national organization that works with reform prosecutors to build a more equitable justice system. Krinsky, whom we featured on this podcast, blasted the move by the Pennsylvania GOP, calling its impeachment vote of Philadelphia District Attorney Larry Krasner, quote, a dangerous abuse of power and a deeply alarming attempt by some state lawmakers to disenfranchise voters. She adds, quote, today, members of the Pennsylvania legislature, 90 percent of whom are white and many of whom represent areas hundreds of miles away from Philadelphia, told Philadelphians, 60 percent of whom are black or Latino, that they have no voice in determining what safety and justice look like in their city. This decision, which affects hundreds of thousands of Philadelphians, was made by a handful of politicians who neither work nor live in that community, yet somehow claim to know better what the city needs. End quote. We'll link to Krinsky's full statement in our substack. And once again, this is Manny Faces, Newsbeat's humble host. We want to extend a huge thank you to our guests, Todd Fogelsong, a fellow in residence at the University of Toronto Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy, and Akela Lacey, an excellent politics reporter at The Intercept. You can learn more about Todd's extraordinary work and that of the Monk School at monkschool.utoronto.ca. He also co-authored an incredibly comprehensive report on all of this titled Violent Crime and Public Prosecution, a review of recent homicide, robbery, and progressive prosecution in the United States. So be sure to check that out. Akela's many, many incredible stories can be read, of course, at TheIntercept.com. She was also featured in a previous episode of ours titled Caution, Misleading Crime Stats. So definitely go back to the archive and give that a listen. You're also going to want to follow her on Twitter at A-K-E-L-A underscore L-A-C-Y. As always, if you were inspired by what you heard or simply learned something new, as I always do, please subscribe to the Newsbeat Podcast wherever you can get podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, we're everywhere. Also, please feel free to rate and review us. Every little bit helps. You can sign up for our Substack newsletter for new drops, bonus stories, and more at newsbeat.substack.com. And check out usnewsbeat.com for all previous episodes, extended guests and artist bios, and much more. 
You want to ask me about my favorite hip-hop artist or pass along an important tip? Shoot us an email at usnewsbeat at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. That's it for this time. We'll catch you soon. Peace and love. Power to the people. We out. I am Brother Cornell West. This is Chris Hedges. I'm Rosa Clemente. Hey, what's up? This is Chuck D, Public Enemy Prophets of Rage. And this is Newsbeat. This is a Many Faces Media production. Many Faces! You sick for this one. Sick.